6640. Your future lies in 6640. 66 books by 40 authors, and yet we now discover it's an integrated message system from outside our time domain. Welcome to 6640, the ministry outreach of Koinonia House and Koinonia Institute. Today's Bible teacher is Chuck Missler, connecting the Bible to your life and the world around you. In today's study, Chuck begins his teaching on the book of 1 John, chapter 4. Well, we're in a study of the epistle that's called 1 John. And whenever we are in the Word of God, we should always start with prayer, right? So let's do bar our hearts. Father, we thank you for this time. We thank you, Father, for this incredible epistle that you've given us. We pray, Father, that you, through your Holy Spirit, would open our hearts and lives to these truths, that we each might grow in grace and the knowledge of our coming King, in whose name we commit this hour and ourselves. In the name of Yeshua, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, amen. So we are in session seven of eight sessions, so the next session will be the last one. And uh, in the first uh, section of this epistle, we encountered warnings against false teachers. Is that really necessary today? Oh, yeah, I hear, I hear a widespread groan there, you betcha. And I also see some people heading for the door. I don't wonder, maybe I got, all right. I'm going to suggest it's never been more urgent than it is today. We are in the devil's territory. We need to, that sounds like such a glib academic phrase. No, we really are. We forget that the world is Satan's. We get caught up in it. We can't help it because we're trying to make a living and provide for our families and what have you. But it's, we need to re- never lose sight of the fact that we are on Satan's ground here. And the occult has never been more openly promoted. Oprah Winfrey or what have you. All different shapes and sizes. You can make quite an interesting collection of all the, the different ways it's promoted. It is the purpose of the devil to confront us with error and thus to enslave us. That's their goal. So let's understand that. Now this first section, the first six verses of this uh, chapter, is intended to fortify us against spiritual gullibility. It's interesting as we travel, there are places that are very hardened, very hard to sell because they're, they're from Missouri, prove it to me kind of people. Okay, that's okay, you can deal with that. There's another kind of people you often run into that are just so open, they're very spiritually gullible. On the one hand, it's easy to deal with that to begin with, but there's a fickleness and a need for root that is often lacking. I want to make sure that this whole issue of spiritual gullibility would be a study in its own right. Now, John's going to use three personal pronouns in this chapter. Ye are of God. Ye is one of the pronouns. You are the target, if you will. Okay, that'll be evident in verse 4. They are of the world. He's there talking about the enemy. In verse 5, as we go forward here. The we are of God are also the fearless in verse 6. Four, five, and six, three different pronouns. Ye are of God, they are of the world, ye are the, we are the ones that are fearless. Praise God. So let's just jump in. Verse 1, 
Beloved, there's that wonderful word that John loves to use. Beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits, whether they are of God. Because many false prophets are gone out into the world. Wow, false prophets. How do you recognize a false prophet? Think about that. Be almost tempted to have you jot down your definition before we go any further. Many of the false prophets are in pulpits. When you're looking around for false prophets, don't overlook some of the church pulpits. Why, why not? Wouldn't that be the most powerful place for Satan to have his emissaries evident? The birds of Matthew 13 are in the overgrown mustard trees. Remember those series of seven parables in Matthew 13? And we have the... The first parable had the four different soils. and one of those soils, we had birds come and take the seed before it could take root. And those birds are identified by Jesus later in the chapter as emissaries of Satan, right? Now, when you get to the uh, third of the parables, you have the mustard seed that grows into a tree in which the birds lodge in the branches. Now, many people miss the point of that. It's often mistaught. By naivete. If you've been to Israel, you know mustard seeds grow to about two feet high. They're, they're a yellow flower that you see on the hillsides. Those are the mustard uh, uh, plants. They don't normally grow into a tree. This one that he's using the parable has grown into a tree that's so hospitable that the birds, the birds of, chat, verse one, of the first parable, are lodging in the branches. And so that's really, that's exactly what the intention is of that passage there. So the birds that are Satan's emissaries are, have lodged in the branches of the mustard seed, which is uh, a double uh, ellipsis there. They have crept in unawares, and that's what June, uh, the Jude and Second Peter are the primary passages that also deal with the subject that we're into tonight. False doctrines had begun to take inroads in both Second Peter and Jude. Deal with these. Second Peter and the epistle to Jude. But they also point out that a greater apostasy is yet to come. And if we think we're in the time that we think, if we are in the time we think we are, then we anticipate that the apostasy is going to be even more widespread, false teachers will be more widespread, and so forth. In fact, many um, prophecy buffs feel that the apostasy we're experiencing is one of the indicators that we are in the end times. And Paul also dealt with all this especially the libertine false teachers in 1 Corinthians 6. It's another key passage for you to explore, and also 7. So, a false teacher is not a person who teaches false doctrine out of ignorance. There are people in pulpits that are teaching false doctrine, not maliciously, just by being uninformed. That's a different kind of situation. Apollos is an example of that in Acts 18. He taught mistakenly the message in the baptism of John, but he was a false teacher because it was incomplete. And Priscilla and Achilla straightened about, and from that point on, he was very powerful. So he was, a, he, for a while there, he was teaching false things out of ignorance, not out of being a false teacher in the spirit of the passage here. False teachers are professed believers, they claim they're Christians, who know the truth, but who deliberately teach lies in the hope of promoting themselves and getting financial gain from their followers. There's a number of those in the public circuit. People who I don't believe are sincere, and they know better, but they teach a teaching that is popular, and, and, and it, uh, it's, it's, it's a livelihood. 
And uh, these, are, these are ones who are able to live in sin to please themselves. And scandals usually catch up with them sooner or later. They use deceptive means, and they twist the Word of God to suit their fancies. Second Peter talks about this in the second chapter. He says, But there were false prophets also among the people, even as there shall be false teachers among you, who privily shall bring in damnable heresies, even denying the Lord that bought them. Wow. Even denying the Lord that bought them. How many pulpits fail to preach the blood of Christ on a cross as the, as the remedy for sin? They'll talk about a lot of other things, but they don't go there. False prophets. As their false prophets arose in Israel. In Peter's day and also among us, false prophets arose. And uh, the church is never injured from the outside, only from the inside. Let's remember that. Who privily shall bring in damnable heresies. Privily. A false teacher never announced their revival as such. They're undercover, so to speak. They're covert. And they bring in damnable heresies. And by the way, there's no heresy that hasn't been anticipated by the Holy Spirit in the Word of God. It's astonishing to actually make a list, to make a list of all the false premises you've ever heard, and you'll discover that each one you can put a passage of Scripture that refutes it. There's nothing's new. Satan hasn't invented anything new. And every one of these heresies you can, you can track down, you'll discover the Scripture has already anticipated it. And uh, heresy is like leaven. That's what Paul even makes that presentation in the book of Galatians. It corrupts all with, uh, with which it comes in contact. So, even denying the Lord that bought them. A direct rebuttal of limited atonement right here in, the, in 2 Peter 2. Uh, well, I, my apologies to the Calvinists among us, but their doctrine of limited atonement is not biblical. We're going to see several refutations of it this evening. The, the view that Christ died only for those who he later would save is the concept. No, he died for the whole world. He denied, denying the Lord that bought them. These are false teachers that aren't saved, denying the Lord that bought them. He paid for them too, even though they didn't accept the payment. You follow me? That's the point. It's a rebuttal to that doctrinal issue. Not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. 1 John 2, 2. We covered that back in the second chapter of 1 John. He also said, that he died not only for our sins, but also for the sins of the whole world. It's another, even more direct rebuttal of the limited atonement idea that circulates among some. False teachers. You see, their teaching was flattery. Their ambitions were financial. Their lives were dissolute. Their conscience was dulled. Their aim was deception. And Isaiah talks about that in Isaiah 28, Jeremiah 23, Ezekiel 13, Zechariah 13. All the major prophets touch on this in one way or another. Wolves in sheep's clothing. That's the way our Lord pictured them. Wow. And many shall follow their pernicious ways, by reason of whom the way of truth shall be evil spoken of. Wow. Not only will people follow them, by reason of whom the way of truth will be evil spoken of. That even started in Psalm 69 when Jesus was a small boy, by the way. They're pernicious ways. And uh, the, the Greek word there means debased sexually. Immoral practices is what's implied. Debauchery, filthy, lustful are phrases that occur in First and Second Peter. 
That's okay. Is it unbridled lust is what the Greek term actually means. Excess, licentiousness, lasciviousness, wantonness, outrageousness, shamelessness, insolence. I feel like adding the word modern. <laughs> this will become important when we get to verse 4. Okay. Although covetous shall they, uh, uh, shall they, all through covetous shall they with feigned words make merchandise of you, whose judgment now of a long time lingereth not, and their damnation slumbereth not. With feigned words, counterfeit words, in other words, manufactured, fabricated words. It's a Greek word, plastos, from which we get the word plastic. But counterfeit words is the, is the concept there. They take familiar Bible words and manufacture new meanings for them. And there's probably no one more guilty than the Christian scientists. They use all the, right, all the same vocabulary we use with totally different meanings. Very difficult to get into that because they have a whole different vocabulary using words that are familiar to us, but they really define quite uh, askew, quite differently. But here, anyway, they take familiar words, manufacture new meanings. They use our vocabulary, but empty these words of spiritual meaning. And, uh, and one of the ways you can sense that is when they're overworked, when they can use words that can actually mean anything. And uh, they will fall into the same judgment as former violators of the truth. No exceptions here. And God's judgment, by the way, is never late. That's sometimes hard to believe, because sometimes He seems to wait a long time before bringing it home. But He will. So Matthew also talks about this, Matthew 7, Beware of false prophets which come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravening wolves. Ye shall know them by their fruits. See, we're not gift inspectors, we're fruit inspectors. Remember the difference. Do men gather grapes of thorns or figs of thistles? Even so, every good tree bringeth forth good fruit, but a corrupt tree bringeth forth corrupt fruit. A good tree cannot bring forth evil fruit, neither can a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. Every tree that bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. Wherefore, by their fruits ye shall know them. And there's plenty of other verses all through the New Testament that echo the same sentiment here. In Matthew 24, the Olive Discourse, Jesus warned, He says, Many false prophets shall arise and shall deceive many. It's interesting that each one of the Lord's discourses about the end times opens and closes with an admonition, Be not deceived. That's an imperative. It's a command. Be not deceived. Well, you got to fight. Yeah, great. How? How do you do that? Jesus continues in, in Matthew 24. He says, Then if any man shall say unto you, Lo, here is Christ, or there, believe it not, for there shall arise false Christs and false prophets, and shall show great signs and wonders, insomuch that if it were possible, they shall deceive the very elect. Wow. You know, we're, not, we're not prepared to have um, politicians raise people from the dead. We're not prepared to see miracles being worked. We tend to presume if there's a miracle, it must be God's, not necessarily. Because they're going to show great signs and wonders. They're going to be very impressive. And Jesus says, Behold, I've told you that before. Thus test every sermon is the admonition. That's why we have used Acts 17.11 as our trademark for more than three decades. That's where Luke tells you, don't believe anything Chuck Missler tells you, but receive the Word of God with openness of mind, yet search the Scriptures daily to prove whether those things be so. And uh, we've hidden behind that verse for three decades. 
Hereby know ye the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesseth that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is of God. Okay. Now I might mention the word Christ is not his last name. The International Standard Version, the ISV that's coming out, should be finished this month, by the way. The ISV uses the term Messiah. You go through the ISV New Testament, you won't find the word Christ. Messiah. Because that's what the word really is, Mashiach. That's the, the Hebrew term, Messiah. Christ is the Greek term that's equivalent, the anointed one. But we, Jesus Christ, we tend to regard it like his, his last name or something. And so the, the ISV uh, translators have decided to stick with the, the real word, Messiah, interestingly enough. So is the virgin birth important? Absolutely. That's not a frill. That's not just an ancillary thing. It's fundamental. If Jesus Christ has come in the flesh of God, it is essential to understand that and its implications. What think ye of Christ is the key question of the age. What do you think of Christ? Whose son is he? You know, one of the great tragedies in my mind of Mel Gibson's fabulous movie, he did a remarkable job despite some of its Catholic overtones. It was a remarkable piece of work. But it fails in two ways. It creates the impression that true fiction was a, a tragedy. No, it was an achievement that was planned before the foundation of the world. The other thing it fails to do is communicate who he is. And I had a wonderful phone call a couple days ago from Tim LaHaye. He called, to me, called me to encourage Nan and I or their book, but he also called to let us know that he's just signed the papers. He's apparently going to be undertaking a sequel, what will be, a, in effect, a sequel to The Passion of Mel Gibson. He's going to call it The Resurrection. And it's his prayer, and he's soliciting prayer from all his friends, and I assume you're his friends too, to pray for that project, because if it has the same quality that Mel Gibson, which is a high standard, he did a good job. There's some things we probably would have done differently, sure, but he did a marvelous job. But if he can do the, if Tim LaHaye's project uh, has the same quality, it'll be a fabulous piece of work and may lead tens of thousands of people to the Lord Jesus Christ. So, uh, but what think ye of Christ is the issue? Whose son is he? You know, that's an interesting thing because that was a question that befuddled the skeptics in Jesus' day. He was tangled with the Herodians, the Sadducees, and the Pharisees, the lawyers of that group, and uh, they had asked him questions. Um, they gathered together, and, uh, and then after he had answered their questions, he said, Jesus asked them, he's asking now them a question. He says, what think ye of Christ? Whose son is he? He said, well, he's the son of David. Then he, Jesus, said unto him, how then doth David in spirit call him Lord, saying, and then he quotes Psalm 110, verse 1, the Lord said unto my Lord, sit thou at my right hand till I make thine enemies thy footstool. They all knew that phrase from Psalm 110, verse 1. Jesus challenged it. If David call him Lord, how is he his son? How can David call him Lord if he's the son of David? That's his question. Okay. And I love verse 46 of Matthew 22. It wraps up that chapter. And no man was able to answer him a word. <laughs> Neither durst any man from that day forth ask him any more questions. <laughs> you can't beat the quaintness of the King James. I love that. Now, what most people don't realize is that if you look at the Hebrew of Psalm 110, verse 1, that under, remember it goes from right to left in Hebrew, the word yod the the God, the name for Yehovah, yod and then right behind it is the word Adonai, and there's a little thing at the end of the word Adonai. That's a yod. That's, a, the, a, that's something you and I would mistake for an apostrophe. That 
Yod makes the word Adonai possessive. How can the Lord call my, he's my Lord. How can he call him Lord? My Lord. See, that's, that's the point. It's a possessive. And remember Jesus said in Matthew 5, he says, not that I come to destroy the law of the prophets, I come not to destroy but to fulfill. But verily I say unto you, till heaven and earth pass, one yacht or one tittle shall no wise pass from the law until all be fulfilled. Now a yacht is what we just, a yacht, that's, or yacht, or yacht, that's just what we watch, that little tiny thing you and I would mistake for a blemish in the paper. And a tittle is a little hook on some of the letters. If we were translating that in our vernacular, it would be not the dotting of an I or the crossing of a T. That's a call to take the text seriously. That's one reason you don't use a paraphrase. You have to use a translation if you don't need it, fine. But you don't want to use a paraphrase because you lose all of that. Anyway, moving on here. But we're back to 1 John. You thought we'd never return, didn't you? We're in verse 3. We're making progress here. And every spirit that confesses not that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not of God. And this is the spirit of Antichrist, whereof ye have heard that it should come. And even now already it is in the world, the spirit of Antichrist, not the person of Revelation. And by the way, this is John writing here, isn't it? Who wrote the book of Revelation? John did. Did he use the word Antichrist in the book of Revelation? No, he didn't. We call one of the two beasts in, in Revelation 13, the Antichrist. That's our use of the term, not John's. The word Antichrist is the one that's in the place of Christ. Not just against Christ. The Greek Antichristo really means in the place of. And that's the spirit of what we're dealing with here. Don't confuse that with a particular eschatological person, a person at the end times that's yet coming. He says you've heard that it'll come, and even now it's already, the spirit of Antichrist is already in the world. The spirit of Antichrist. This is the third reference to the Antichrist here in this epistle. Ye are of God, little children, and have overcome them, because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. If you want a memory verse out of this chapter, this is it. This is Christians 44. I don't know if you watch Westerns, but in those days the 44 was synonymous with a weapon of choice here, right? Well, this is your Christians 44. You know what a Christian's bar of soap? That's 1 John 1, 9, right? Right? If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and, guess what? Cleanse us with all, from all unrighteousness. 1 John 1, 9. I use that probably once a day. This is another verse you want to cling to. It's easy to remember. It's 1 John 4, 4. It's your 44. Greater is He that is in you than He is in the world. When you get confronted... When you get confronted with some kind of demonic challenge, now mostly for most of us, that's sort of an academic thing. It's a philosophical thing. No, if we're moving in the direction I think we're moving, you are going to be confronted dramatically by demonic hosts in various forms. When you are, you need to be able to recall and cling to your 44. 1 John 4, 4. Greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. Who's in the world? Who's he talking about in the world? Satan and his lieutenants, absolutely. Greater is he that's in you. That's why you never want to accept an invitation to board a UFO. You think I'm kidding. I got a call from a Hollywood producer who tried to correct me on that point because he was the producer of Fire in the Sky, the movie that deals with the Travis Walton affair. And... Uh, because I made the statement that a Christian can't be demon, can't be abducted. And what about Betty Friesen? You mentioned an example, Andreessen, Beverly, uh, Betty Andreessen. 
and I, I checked the, the, the famous affidavit by her. She was invited and accepted an invitation. That's not an abduction. You know, we've, in our book, Encounters, we've got a checklist in the back. You want to take that seriously. But stranger things are going to be happening. Recognize when, you, when something weird happens, remember John 4, 4. If you're, if you're a Christian, if you're not a Christian, say like you're. No, I'm kidding. Okay. Let's not forget that Satan has two strategies to undo you. To deny his existence or to overemphasize his capabilities. Two extremes. The greatest fraud he's been able to perpetrate on the world that he doesn't really exist. It's just a myth. I get a big kick out of some of the billboards I see about Halloween. Get in the spirit of the season. You've got to be kidding. <laughs> I love Pat Matriciana's quip about that. He says... For a Christian to celebrate Halloween is like asking a Holocaust survivor to celebrate Hitler's birthday. Halloween is an occultic celebration. Be careful. Be careful. They're dangerous, strangely. Because most people deny his existence. Well, the other side of the coin, if that doesn't work, you go the other way where you get terrified and you overemphasize his capabilities. He cannot read your mind. Only God knows the thoughts and intents of the heart. He may be able to be a pretty good judge of Behavior, you may be able to second-guess a lot of things just because he's not stupid. But he, does, he cannot read your mind. A lot of people ask me that. What, what about that? Anyway, moving on. They are of the world. Therefore speak they of the world, and the world heareth them. That's them, those, right? They are of the world. See, the world is his. Let's not forget that. The media and virtually all formal institutions in some way or another either infiltrated or controlled by him. That's a very difficult truth to, 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 to uh, come to terms with. But it's, I think, valid. Is it any wonder that they tolerate any religion except Christianity? Have you ever noticed that? In the public schools, you can teach any religion you like. Talk about Buddhism, you talk about Islam. Oh, but you don't have Christmas trees around Christmas. I mean, you don't have any prayers. Oh, for heaven's sakes, not to God. Allah, okay, yeah, sure. Not to the God, the living God. Wow, does that tell you something? You've been listening to 6640, the ministry outreach of Koinonia House and Koinonia Institute. Today's Bible teacher was Chuck Missler, teaching through the books of 123 John. Download the new K-House TV app to access an ever-growing collection of free resources. Visit the Apple or Android app store or search K-House TV on your Roku or Fire TV streaming device. Thank you for listening to 6640 and for your continued prayerful support of this ministry. Until next time, as we continue this series, may God bless you with the knowledge of His Son, Jesus Christ, as you study His Word.